0: Hello everyone and welcome to another Daily Objective. So tonight I'm by myself and we are going to discuss something which is not directly related to the elections. Of course, it's Tuesday and we have an election Tuesday, but something which is related to the history of some ideas. And it is the history of the ideas that led to the political phenomenon that we could call Trumpism, if there is such a thing. So what is the history of the ideas of the anti-establishment right of a conservatism which is outside of the mainstream of the conservative party. And how did these ideas gain central states with Trump and where do these ideas come from? So we're gonna make a small historical journey. And our journey will start from 1964 and the elections where Barry Goldwater was the candidate for the Republican Party. And why is the Goldwater elections important? Because it's the last elections of a Republicanism that was characterized as the, quote, the old right. So this is a right that was still more ideological. It had a lot of people who were opposed to the New Deal. And let's say it had a distinct ideological signature. It had some ideological, uh, let's say, it was an ideological campaign. And it's not a coincidence that this was the last campaign that Ayn Rand considered worthwhile actively supporting a candidate. Now, as we now know, Goldwater lost easily to Johnson. And after that, conservatism went to a different way. And if we should find one figure which is, let's say a movements maker for mainstream conservatism, that would be William Buckley. And what did Buckley do? So Buckley was not only a journalist, but in a way he was a movement builder. And the first thing he did is he quote, expelled from the movement, anyone who had the characteristic of a quote ideologue or a quote an extremist. And this had to do with three groups. The first group was what today we would call right-wing populists. And these were people who were not only against the New Deal in terms of economics, but were for a foreign policy that its enemies would call it isolationism. And I'm mostly talking about the John Birch Society. Now, this is not a group that we objectivists would have much in common. Actually, in John Beards, you'd find populism, you'd find conspiracy theories, and you'd find a, a, type of, a type of ideas that we wouldn't feel comfortable with. However, the second group that is expelled is libertarians. And at that time, libertarians would mostly talk about the group and the people around Mary Rothbard who had, who for some time was around Ayn Rand. Then they got their on their own way. Rand was very unhappy with them, but also they were too much for the official conservatives. And the third group or the third type of ideas that Buckley had nothing to do with already from some years ago was of course Rand herself. And that's why one of the worst reviews of Atlas Ragt was actually in, Buckley's uh, publication. So what do these three movements have in common? They were conceived; they were perceived by Buckley as extremists and ideologues. So the message was conservatives needs to be pragmatic. We need to have some principles, but let's, ne- let's not take it to the extremes. So in, in a way it was this Burkean kind of conservatism that that said we have to go with tradition, the American way of life, a bit of capitalism because we don't like the other side, we don't like Soviet Union, we don't like communism, but that's basically as good as it gets. And what did this lead to? It leads to what in the 70s would be the, quote, silent majority. So remember, every movement needs to have some kind of an ideology. Otherwise, this movement is doomed. So what came instead of these principles or or these ideologies that were expelled? Well, this void was filled by religion. That's why, for example, you have the new evangelicals in the 70s and towards the 80s. And this was the first time that evangelicals and the Republican Party were coming together. Today, we might think that evangelical Christians and the Republicans are let's say a fit, which is a natural fit, but actually historically this has not been the case. So we have this coalition between evangelicals, between the group that later we call neoconservatives. So there are people who are not that big supporters of either either laissez-faire capitalism or of conservative traditions, but because of their foreign policy, they found a home in the Conservative Party. People uh, like free marketeers, like Friedman, what they call, quote, neoliberals. And this is the bulk of the so-called silent majority. And this silent majority appears as the reply, the answer of the right to the dominance of the left in the 1960s, in the universities, and with the counterculture. So in the 70s and at some point in the 80s the conservatives managed to put a mask over their ideological let's say let's say nakedness by putting forward this religiosity or that we are the good conservatives or with the neoconservatives that we are the fierce opponents of the evil empire of the Soviet Union and this movement finds It's face, let's say, with Ronald Reagan and his two successful campaigns. Now, actually, if you see what happened is that Reagan was not such a cultural warrior as a president. And as a president, he was way more pragmatist than most of the people who now consider him the best Republican president ever want to achieve. So the foundational problem of identity of Republicanism was not solved. And this became evident at the end of the Cold War. So when the Cold War was finished, around 1989 to 1991, conservatives and republicanism finds itself with a leader who was not charismatic. So Bush was nowhere as charismatic as Reagan. And also, it was a movement in search of a mission. So what was the new agenda that could that could boost the Republican base. And this is when the ghost of right-wing populism that Buckley thought that he had expelled, this, this ghost would come back to haunt the Republican party. So we find ourselves in the elections before the election of 1992. And Bush, quite unusual for an incumbent president, finds himself with opposition within his own party and this opposition was of course the uh, the nominate the 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 campaign of Pat Buchanan and Pat Buchanan was a paleoconservative so at this time paleoconservatism rises let's say as the opposition to the conservative establishment of the neoconservatives or the, quote, neoliberals. So what are the three main elements of paleoconservatism that, again, Buckley thought that he has managed to put it to the margins of politics? One is economic nationalism. So here why paleoconservatives are not to be seen as some good allies. The other one is traditional values, and the third one is an American first uh, foreign policy, American first, quote, an isolationist policy. And Buchanan makes a very loud entry in the scene. He has a campaign which has some momentum. He loses to Bush. And in the summer of 92, which as a year we had also, it was a year with riots and There was this sense that what's happening to the American way of life, Buchanan delivers one of the most important speeches of the last decades in the history of the American conservatives and of the Republican Party. And it is his very famous culture wars speech. And I'm going to read you one line that will give you an understanding about what Buchanan was all about. So he said, quote, this election is about much more than who gets what. It is about who we are. It is about what we believe. It is about what we stand for as Americans. It is a cultural war, as critical to the kind of nation we will one day be, as was the, as was the Cold War itself. So what do we see then? We see a stranded a strand of conservatism saying that the battle is not to be fought on who goes to the White House. The battle has to be fought in the area of culture. And what do they bring forward? Conservative culture. And as you can imagine, issues such as abortion was on top of their agenda. And again, paleoconservatism would, would be a constant force on the margins of the Republican Party even until 2016. So a lot of people say that figures such as Paul Gottfried, for example, who was a paleo-conservative, they were very influential to what would become the alt-right. Specifically, on its early days, a lot of people say that alt-right comes from Gottfried. Of course, Gottfried envisioned it as a paleo-conservative movement, but then it got a momentum of its own towards white nationalism. And there's another very important thing that Buchanan introduces to, to, let's say, to introduces to the agenda. And it's something that, again, many years later, would pave the way for Trump's narrative. So in 2002, Buchanan publishes a book with one of these characteristic American very long titles. And if I give you the title of the book, you'll understand what the book was about. So the book was called, quote, The Death of the West: how dying populations and immigrant invasions imperil our culture and civilization. So why is this important? Because we get the narrative in conservatism that, as some people would later say, demographics is destiny. This means that the, the demographics of the country would have to do with what these countries later. A fate would be so the Republican so the the conservatives are saying, we have to make sure that we stop immigration, we have to make sure that there is some ethnic homogeneity in the United States. Otherwise, we're up for big trouble. Now, this did not hit a nerve at that time on a big stage. But fast forward 14 years and fast forward to 2016 And we have another figure which is related to the populist anti-immigration right called Anne Coulter. And Anne Coulter also publishes a book with a very long and characteristic title. And the book is called, Adios, America. Adios with the exclamation point, which is typical in Spanish. You get the point. The left's plan to turn our country into a third world hellhole. Now, what is the difference? The difference is that in 2016, this narrative has now a representative, and this representative was Donald Trump. So, paleoconservatism was one of the big powers that made the Republican Party more a more fertile space for Trump. But it was not the only one. Another important power uh, was so-called paleolibertarians, paleolibertarians are mostly people like Rothbard, people around the Mises Institute. And why paleo-libertarians? Mostly to be distinguished from what they call Washington libertarians, libertarians like Cato Institute, which for their taste, they're very soft. So what is the similarity between paleo-libertarians and paleo-conservatives? Because remember, Paleo conservatives are for economic nationalism. But here's why here's where they meet with paleo libertarians. They meet on their disdain for the American foreign policy. So imagine we're around 2008. We've had the war in Viet with the war in Afghanistan being still not the decisive victory that people would expect. And we have the world in Iraq being a fiasco from any point of view you would see it so paleo libertarians think that it that their time has come and paleo conservatives also think that their time has come but also something else happens in 2008 around 2008 the financial crisis it's already visible that there is a big problem and here comes the figure of Ron Paul with his two presidential campaigns 2008. 2012. Of course, in neither of these campaigns did he get the nomination of the party, but these campaigns are very, very important for two reasons. The first is that it was the first time that, let's say, a, a, a figure outside of the mainstream had such an appeal, and he put on the agenda issues such as an isolationist foreign policy, of course, personally and all many objectives have major issues with Ron Paul's uh, foreign policy. So what I'm saying is not an endorsement. I'm just telling you what happened. And the other issue is that his campaign inspired an unprecedented mobilization of the bases. So you had people from paleo conservatives to kids, young people who wanted drug legalization. All these people, uh, all the people, mobilizing around Ron Paul. And what does this show, even though Paul lost both the 2008 and the 2012 campaigns, It has shown something very important. It has shown that there was some gap, there was some space, some political space in American conservatism for an outsider, for a figure that would be an outsider figure. And what was a big question, if you remember, after 2012, because Ron Paul was too old, it was quite unlikely that he would have another campaign. The question was, who will be the next Ron Paul in 2016? So between the, the, the Paul campaign in 2016, we have some other things happening within the conservative and Republican milieu. One important issue is the Tea Party. So for the first time again, after years, uh, Republicans and conservatives become very noisy. They take on the streets. They, they make their voice heard. And they also have electoral success. So we have figures like Rand Paul, Ron's son, or Ted Cruz, getting elected basically on a platform, which is the Tea Party platform. A platform against the Washington establishment and a, a platform asking for important Changes And a platform against the mainstream conservatism, which is seen as losers and as not being able to fight for American values. And now this energy slowly, slowly enters the inside of the conservative movement. So we see figures, for example, like Ben Shapiro, becoming cultural warriors, so to speak. It was also the time of the late Andrew Breitbart who says politics is downstream from economics, so from culture, politics is downstream from culture. So the, the conservative movement is, is directing itself towards the culture wars. And why are they doing this? Remember, the conservative movement and the Republican party has not got a coherent ideology, has not got a coherent philosophy. They are not, Principled defenders of capitalism because they cannot be, they cannot be because they're of the religious views. They, they cannot be for individualism. They cannot be for quote greed. They cannot be for the pursuit of uh, material wealth or these things. Or they can be, but with many question marks. So they can all. They cannot go all in for capitalism. So they have this problem. They need this substitute for their lack of ideology. And this is where the culture wars come in. The culture wars is this substitute for their poor ideology or their lack of ideology. And this is how we find ourselves in 2016, where there's this momentum that mainstream conservatism is boring, mainstream conservative is, they're losers, And that's where you have all the memes with the cacks and all that stuff. So this momentum was not coincidental. There was a fertile ground that actually made possible an outsider like Donald Trump. So I don't want to to be misunderstood though. Trumpism, if there is such a thing, is not the same as paleoconservatism. is not the same as paleo-libertarianism. Obviously, it's not the same as the alt-right. But all these things have something in common. And it is the disdain for mainstream conservatism. And it is an attempt to mask the ideological nakedness of mainstream conservatism. So in a very, very few, uh, few words, this is how we find ourselves from a conservative movement, dominated by the pragmatism of William Buckley to a conservative movement, which today its figurehead is Trump, and looks like Trump is, is the only game in town. So this stream of ideas was a reaction in a way to Buckley. And this is not to say that we need to return to Buckley, because this pragmatism was what left conservatism exposed to these populist ideas. So the only way to fight these populist ideas is with some strong and principled ideological positions, which, as I've said and we've discussed with the co-host and our guests many times in this program, conservatism is not capable of achieving at its current state. Anyway, that was our short historical uh, historical uh, historical traveling back to the past today. Hope you enjoyed it and you found it uh, useful. We will be back tomorrow with one of the usual co-hosts. Till then, all the best. Bye-bye.